I believe in God, I the, believe Father, in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. I believe. Well, I believe this is a great day for us to gather as the Christ Journey family. Once again, wherever you're making your connection with us, one of our campuses here in South Florida or across the nation, around the world, wherever you're making your connection. And I want to just say right off the top that we are privileged once again to host a pastor from a Bahamian church, Pastor Freddie Lang, his wife, Nicoya. And uh, I wanted you to see if we can just show you uh, his church before and then after the uh, the hurricane, please go right to the after. Do you have it? Okay, I sent both of them, so I guess I'll have to uh, come back to that in a second. But Pastor Freddie, uh, would you stand and allow us just to? <laughs> Our. We have many among our international audience as well, and so I just want you to know that our church is committed to going the distance with our friends in the Bahamas, and, um, and we're so privileged to have you with us today, and praying for your congregations as well as we draw inspiration from your strength in the midst of that struggle. Also, I want to say to the families of those who are of our children today who received the uh, Bibles that we gave away, I have a very warm memory of a Bible that uh, we gave away some years ago that happened to me just, I think it was last year actually. Um, one of our young men invited me to officiate his wedding and the Bible he wanted me to use was the one that we gave to him 20 years ago. And they were grounding their faith on the faith that was shared with them through this church family. And so I wanna say, way to go family ministry, way to go uh, highway volunteers, way to go every person who allows us to make the journey with you and with your children so significant in the life of our church. And now I would love for us to uh, get on the same page as we declare the focus of our faith for today's talk. Would you repeat after me? He is risen just as he said. It's the heartbeat of our faith. Now, um, the $350 million Millennium Tower project in San Francisco was built as a state-of-the-art condominium skyscraper. It, um, it opened April of 2009, and at a height of 645 feet, it is the highest, the tallest building in San Francisco. Um, but May of 2016, Residents in it were told that it is sinking and it is tilting. At the time that I read of it, it had sunk 17 inches and was actually leaning 14 inches northwest. Um, and at that time as well, some 40 different law firms were involved in the disputes around the tower, 4-0. Um, to stop the tilting, uh, engineers have proposed, proposed a renovation that's going to cost somewhere between 200 and 500 million dollars to correct. And the fix involves something that the original construction failed to do. Anchor the building in bedrock. Now, why am I telling us this story today? 
Because foundations matter. Foundations in buildings and foundations in life. What you build your life upon matters. The ideas and facts that you build your life upon matter. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the most important idea, the most important belief, the most important fact that is foundational in the Christian faith, what would you say? If someone were to ask you today, what would you say? Well, the answer is in the phrase that is summarized in the Apostles' Creed that we're going to look at today. It's simply this, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And here's the statement, he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. So if Jesus is our foundation stone, then his bodily resurrection from the dead is our bedrock. And we want to anchor there for building a life that will stand. Everything stands or falls on this central belief. All other belief statements hinge on this one. And listen, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, let me ask you, would you ever have heard anything about him? I doubt it. Right? <laughs> he would just be remembered as another teacher or another disruptor with insights in history. And once he's dead, you know what he becomes? A footnote. He's a martyr or he's a, uh, a memory. That's it. But bring in the resurrection, and guess what? One of a kind. One of a kind. No one before or ever since has ever claimed and predicted by their own eyewitness account that he will die and then on the third day rise to live again in a different quality of life, not a resuscitated life only to die again, but rise in a resurrected life to eternal quality of life. Now, having said that, I just want to bring you in. Do you know how the Jesus alive again from the dead became significant to me, became important to me? I actually backed into it. And my hunch is that you might have as well. And what I mean by that is that every time, this has been my experience and discovery in my own spiritual life, every time before I was even a believer, now looking back. So by the way, if you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for being here and giving us this opportunity. But my, my first experience of Jesus alive from the dead, I believe, it was experiencing something spiritually that was rising up within me, and I didn't know how to respond. But looking back now, I'm taking that as evidence that Jesus Christ rose and is alive in the world today. When I felt, at 17, the weight of guilt lift off of me like an elephant moving off of my chest, it was an evidence forgiveness the experience of God's forgiveness was an evidence for me that Jesus is alive and is now coming alive in me. So I'm backing into the experience. The moment that I responded to God's call, where I sensed that something, someone was calling me out, and then when I said yes, and I felt something like a hand reaching into my chest and squeezing my heart, I'm looking back now and saying, you know what? That was evidence that Jesus is alive and he's coming alive in me. So every time through the years of my ministry that I have sensed a fresh anointing from God or a filling of his spirit that sometimes feels different different times for me, sometimes it feels like I'm just, I got bubbles rising up inside and spilling out on the outside. That's not my lifestyle, but I've had that experience. 
the time that I felt like fire was happening inside me and burning stuff away that I don't need, or the time that I sensed that there was this a lift, a kind of, it wasn't a wind, I didn't hear anything, but it was a lift that just was, that was evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and coming alive in me. When my prayers have been answered, that's further evidence to me that every time God answers my prayer, Jesus is alive and is interceding on my behalf. So the what of the belief is simply this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The so what of the belief is, um, is what we celebrate every Easter. Christ is alive, and he can come alive in you, in me. See, the so what is how I came to believe that this belief is true. And the so what is that my life and your life, that our, our life, Jesus is alive and can come alive in you. That's the so what. And God wants you fully alive. He doesn't just want you biologically alive. He doesn't just want you physically alive. He wants you fully alive in the fullness of what it means to be an image bearer of God, being redeemed by his son. And, but through, and the way that God chooses to help you become fully alive is through the dead and coming alive again of Jesus Christ. The human God, Jesus Christ. And that's why this belief matters. Now, you don't have to study very long to discover the theme of dying and rising gods is not unique to Christianity. That it shows up in a host of different pagan religions. And it's a way that the ancients would try to explain the changing of the seasons in nature that the gods were dying and rising again. But what's unique and new, unique in Jesus, is the claim that it happened in a factual body, in concrete history, of a Jew named Jesus from Nazareth. That's like unique. And, uh, and so what the apostles, the ones that were with them, wanted us to know from the beginning is that this was not, Jesus was not some idea, uh, uh, this make-believe from religious mythology. And they wanted to make it very clear. The claim the apostles make is, hey, we knew him. There's his mother right over there. He, he lived with us. He called us out. We followed him. We were there when he died. We took him down from the cross. We put him in the grave. We saw him before when he was alive. We saw him when he was dead. And we saw him when he was alive again in a very new and different way. Foundational for the anchoring our belief. Here's what the Apostle John said. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Very first, right out, the, right out the gate, he says, what we've seen with our eyes. Eyewitnesses. What we have looked at, that means we've studied it carefully. We have gazed upon it intently. We have tried to say, how does this work? What is going on here? That's what looked at means. And our hands have touched this is what we're telling you. We're proclaiming to you that what we have seen, what we have heard, we want you to know about it so that you can have fellowship, you can have friendship with God, just like we do through Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, what did the Apostle Peter say? Well, in his letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, this is what he says. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
Now, you know, the New Testament didn't come to us as a book. It didn't all come together. These are letters that were written by different people at different times to tell the story of their experience with God. And so he's saying we were eyewitnesses. So what is the core belief? It's simply this. Jesus Christ rose physically from the dead just as he said he would. Now, why do we believe it? Well, one answer is the eyewitness accounts that, of those who saw him that we have from the source documents. They say, we saw him, we talked with him, we ate with him, we touched him, we heard him, we were with him. And here's something else we know. You can't prove history through repeatable proofs like a scientific experiment. What do I mean? Well, you can prove that water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit just by putting another pot of water on it until it gets to 212 degrees Fahrenheit and then it boils again. But you can't prove history the way that you prove science because they are unrepeatable events. So how do, what do we do? Well, in a court of law, you say, did anybody see it happen? Right? Were you there? And then you compare stories from people who said, oh, I was there. This is what I saw. This is what I saw. Well, that's the kind of evidence that we have in the New Testament. They were saying, hey, we were there. And we saw it. We saw it before. We saw the one who was formerly crucified, bleeding, dead, and we saw him buried. And now we saw him alive again and appearing before us. Actually, multiple times throughout the different letters that we have in the New Testament, different individuals say they saw him. Twelve different appearances over a period of about um, 40 days, month and a half. They experienced him. Why did the first apostles and disciples believe that Jesus rose? They experienced him. They, um, they saw him multiple times. He appears after the resurrection. Here's some places you could check if you want to follow up on that. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, 21, Acts 9, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 1. I'm not asking you to write all those down. They're in your notes if you want to see them on the, on the app. Christ Journey app, but I'm telling you, all they did was say, we saw him rise, and he rose into a different kind of body. It was still human. It was still recognizable, but we experienced him. So here, the women that first went to the tomb, Mary comes back, and what does she say to the guys? We saw the Lord. We just saw him. Actually, it says that she tried to hold him, and Jesus said, no, you can't hold on to me. So there was an experience going on there. Not long after that, he appears to the other disciples behind locked doors. He's commissioning them with peace, breathing the Holy Spirit upon them, and, um, and Thomas wasn't there. And so when the other guys say, hey, geez, we saw Jesus, he's alive from the dead, Thomas goes, I doubt that. Right? That, no, I doubt that. In fact, Thomas says, and thus I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where those nails were. I'm not going to believe. Well, guess what happens? A week later, Jesus appears with Thomas present. And what does he say? Hey, put your finger right here. See my hand? Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is like foundational for the journey, right? So the documents tell us that Jesus made such appearances over a period of almost a month and a half. After the resurrection, Jesus is making appearances. And in Galilee, in Jerusalem, on the road to Emmaus, what is today called the West Bank, in Israel. Years later, seven years later, he shows up on the Damascus Road and changes the life of a guy named Saul. 
Some years after that, the Apostle John says, he visited me on the island of Patmos, the resurrected Jesus. The fact that the Bible contains these eyewitness stories is one of the reasons that it is such a special and holy treasure, and it's one of the reasons that we give it to our children. Because we want them to be able to read it for themselves and learn. Learn what? Learn that Jesus is alive and coming alive in me, coming alive in you. Jesus is coming alive. Jesus rose from the dead. And this is a real resurrection to an eternal quality of bodily life. He's not a ghost. This is not their testimony. He's not a body resuscitated that is going to die again in a few years. He's not a reincarnation getting recycled until he gets his karma right. This is not what the apostles are saying. From the earliest, here's what they said. You know, he's not simply a spirit that has escaped its mortal coil of suffering and is now being absorbed into the great universe. No. The apostles said, we saw him. He had a body. We could recognize it. It was a kind of physical existence that was eternal at the same time. Now, we're going to talk about that later in the series when we get to that line. But this belief is so central to the Christian faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, you know, if without this, all of our preaching is vain. This is just a waste of time, what we're doing here. Your faith is in vain. At best, we're misrepresenting God. I'm just a liar. And we're all being duped. If Christ isn't raised, then your faith is futile. Zero with the rim kicked off. Has no value. And you are still in your sins, and those who have died have now perished. And we, of all people, should be pitied... um, more than anybody. So it's not like he hasn't weighed the alternatives here in his personal experience and is telling the whole truth to those who are seeking. So how are we to know it's true that it really happened? Because if it's not a repeat event, then how can we know? Well, let me ask you this. How can you know a lion is in the jungle if you haven't laid eyes on it yourself? Well, tracks are one way. See those tracks? Where'd they come from? Maybe there's something in those woods, right? And that's what the eyewitnesses are saying. In fact, that's part of the tracks. The eyewitnesses' testimony six weeks after the resurrection are saying that over 500 people experienced the risen Jesus in their midst making appearances at that time period. Then these are the source documents with their stories in them. Another lion track, I mean, you can read their stories in the Gospels. Uh, Another track, the fact that these Jewish followers of Jesus have suddenly started worshiping on Sunday. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but these are Jewish followers who have learned from Moses that the Sabbath day is holy, and you better keep it that way. And, uh, And for centuries, that has been their tradition. And oh, by the way, the earliest followers of Jesus were seen as a sect of Judaism until the temple fell in 70 AD. And Jesus didn't, start, didn't come up and say, hey, let's start a new thing and then split them off. No, these are Jews who worship on the Sabbath day. And yet they're now worshiping on Sunday? What happened? What happened? 
Of course, their belief is that you'll read in their Gospels is the Holy One rose on that day. So that's the holiest day of all. Another track is the emotional change in the disciples. When Jesus died, they're hiding. Read the story. They're afraid. They're behind closed doors. They're fearing for their lives. Look what they did to him. What are they going to do to us? And yet, uh, two months later, two months later, they're now testifying in the streets, and they're courageously sharing their perceptions of what we saw and what we heard and what you need to know so that you can know, too, from scared rabbits into missionary martyrs. What happened to them? It's a track. Another track that many reference is the mere survival of the church. As the body of Christ spread out across the Roman Empire, it was met with wave upon wave of bloody persecution unleashed upon it, and yet it stood and it stands today in spite of opposition. So what does it all mean? What difference does it make, really? I mean, if that's how it got here, if that's why we have an opportunity to believe it, and if that's what it is, so what does it mean? What difference does it make? Well, let me offer three thoughts from the apostles themselves, from the source documents that they wrote. The first one is the resurrection of Jesus means Jesus Christ is God. That's the ultimate validation. That's his claim. Do you know the story? Sunday school teacher uh, asked her students, what were Jesus' first words when he rose from the dead? Little girl spread her arms out, stood up straight and said, Ta-da! It was like, this is God's ta-da moment in history where Jesus, alive again, he repeatedly told his disciples. We looked at this last week. Repeatedly, time and again and again, in different locations, he said, the Son of Man will die, he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and then, and of course, they're totally distracted by that. What's he talking about? And then he says, and on the third day, he'll rise. Repeatedly, he, re he predicted that. John chapter 2, verse 9, he says, to those opposing him, he said, destroy this temple, meaning his body, and in three days, I'll raise it again. He, Jesus said that the last sign that you're going to get from me, because they said, show us a miracle. He said, the last sign you'll see is the sign of Jonah. He said, where Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Even the one, the accusers, who brought Jesus to be crucified, went to Pilate again after he was dead and buried, and they asked for security guards at the tomb. You know, post a guard. Why? Well, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'm going to come alive again. I'm going to rise again. So when Jesus rose, it was the final climactic sign that validated his claim of deity. If you want evidence that Jesus was not another, just another good man, another great religious teacher, another wise prophet, then go to the resurrection and investigate the tracks. That's the answer to the intellectual question. The second thing that the resurrection means is Jesus can save you. Jesus can save me. Jesus can save us. Jesus is alive and coming alive in me. This is part of the evidence. Now, we already saw that Jesus died on the cross. That was our last talk. To pay the penalty of sin before justice and, and of a holy God. So his resurrection means the payment was effective. 
It means that justice was fully served. It means that death has been meted out in its entirety, that there is nothing more to be done. That's what this means. It is finished. That's what that means. You know, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. That's what it means. You know, when you make a purchase at the store, Whatever it is that you've bought, you go to the clerk, the clerk, you, you put your money down, and, and then they put it in a sack. And uh, you know when your transaction is complete? They give you a receipt, right? I mean, out of the register pops this receipt. It's got a date on it of when you made the payment, of how much the payment was, of how you made the payment, you know? Um, and, and then they, they give you that receipt, and that's your evidence uh, that you're done. So if, everyone, if anyone ever calls you or comes after you saying, hey man, you owe us, then all you gotta do is what? Show them a receipt. Because the transaction is complete. Listen, that's the picture theologically of Christ's death and resurrection. In his death, your sin debt is paid in full. And the sign that the transaction is complete, out from the grave pops the receipt. That's what that means. Payment received, paid in full. When the, grave, when the accuser comes to you and says, now you know about that, you owe me. Then you know what you're supposed to do? Point to the cross, point to the receipt, and say there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You're supposed to say, uh, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, <laughs> but according to his mercy that he saved us. We're supposed to say, no, you're right, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection means that Jesus Christ is God. It means that Jesus Christ can save us, and it means that Jesus Christ will win. When all is said and done, when all is said and done, Jesus Christ, dead, alive again, will be triumphant. Nothing will prove too much. For his victory. The resurrection means Jesus Christ will win. So nothing in this life, nothing in the next life. No angels, no demons, no high, no low. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And whatever tries to drag you back or hold you down or take you low, let me tell you, he's already been there and he can lift you up all the way. That's what it means. Corey Ten Boom said, no pit is so deep, God is not deeper still. And where did Jesus show us he would go all the way down? On the cross in the grave, he descended to the dead, and then guess what? So he can lift us all the way up. Now maybe some of you are familiar with this creed, and you remember that there was a phrase in it that said Jesus Christ descended to hell. Why is that not in this? Why are we leaving that out? Well, I want to tell you that scholars believe it wasn't in the original creed. In fact, the oldest, earliest version we have is known as the Old Roman form, and it doesn't have the line. And yet the Bible does tell us that Christ descended to the place of the dead. And that word in the Old Testament Hebrew is Sheol. In the New Testament, it's Hades. And it refers to the temporary realm of the dead. And in fact, Paul may be referencing that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9, when he says this, Christ descended to the lower earthly regions, 
And then maybe Jesus was referring to that in John 5 when he said this. You know, he was predicting, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Maybe that was what was going on. But we need to be careful uh, and understand that this isn't talking about purgatory. No reference to purgatory. When it comes to the afterlife, the Bible never teaches the existence of a purgatory where people can be purged of their sins and then have an opportunity to trust Christ after they've died. The Bible... Uh, the Bible says that now is our time for believing and responding while we're alive on this side of the grave. Okay, well then what's this talking about? Well, what makes the most sense to me is that in light of full Bible teaching um, that all of the faithful who had been looking forward to Messiah's coming, who had been following the light that God had given them to that point would, and had died before Jesus died, would hear his voice. And when they hear his voice on the other side, when he was making his way into paradise, he's just going to say, well, y'all come with me. And there they go. Abraham, Moses, Noah, Ruth, Esther, you know, the whole batch of them. That's everybody who has been looking forward to Messiah, just like we now look back to Messiah, they were looking forward. And when they heard his voice, they entered paradise together. I believe the teaching is simply this. God is so big in Christ that even death has been changed because of God's fullness. See, on that day, death died. The power of death died. Now, Christ followers, we don't live in denial of death. We're mortal. We know it's coming. But we're not intimidated by it. See, death is serious, but coming alive again in Christ is even more serious. Jesus Christ is alive and coming alive in me. Maybe you remember me telling this story. Uh, family's in the car together. They're driving. It's a vacation day. The temperature's mild and temperate. They got the windows rolled down. The breezes are coming through. They're enjoying themselves. Suddenly a bee flies into the car and the daughter in the back seat, young girl, is just panicked. So full. She's just fearful. She's deathly allergic to bee stings. Daddy, daddy, it's going to sting me. It's going to sting me. And so dad pulls the car off to the side of the road and starts trying to shoo that bee out of the car, out the window, and he can't get it to go. It lands on the windshield, and he cups his hand over it until the inevitable sting happens. Then he opens his palm, and his daughter once again panics. Oh, no, it's going to sting me. He said, no, honey, it's not. Look right here. And there in the palm of his hand was the stinger. The threat had been removed. Paul says, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Jesus has taken the sting out of death. And so much so, listen to this, that in order to get into his group following Jesus in church, you know what you got to do? Pass through the water of death. You got to enter death in order to follow the one who rose. That's what baptism is. Why do we baptize people in water by immersion around here? Well, because the, the water represents the grave where Jesus, when he died, was buried, and then he rose from the dead. That's, this is the central heartbeat of our faith, and that's what we're declaring. We're not afraid of death. We just know that we're going to declare it before we get there so that in the grave, from the grave where Jesus made his descent, we likewise will rise.
Now, the cross that we display is empty. You know why? Because Jesus is not dead. He rose, and his presence is available to live in us. When we say, when, when Christians face family death, loved one death, when we die these days, you know what we've learned to say? We don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. How? Because of this. Earlier, uh, you know, death no longer has the ultimate power over us. This is what we believe. Earlier, we went through a list of how could we know that he really rose from the dead? And I told you that there's one other way that the apostles said you can know that I've already experienced and that you can experience. It was one that a songwriter put in words like this some years ago. Um, you asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Jesus promised that when he rose, he would send his spirit and his father and he, through his spirit, would come alive in us. You can know God personally. He can come alive in you, in your own heart and soul, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will deeply abide in every person who trusts me. Here's what he said. If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. That means you'll follow it, you'll trust it. And my father will love him. And we'll come to him, and we will make our home within him. Are you letting God make his home within you? Would you like to? Maybe you feel like Thomas today. You know, well, I, I might be open to it, but I just need to see a sign. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Ask God for your sign. Jesus gave Thomas the one that he asked for. And then what did Thomas say? He trusted the sign. When God gives it to you, you don't say, well, that was something, but what about this? No, you say, my Lord and my God, and then Jesus, who is alive, starts coming alive in you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you and are humbled at all of this. It just is so amazing. It's so incredible and yet your spirit convinces us something our lives can change doesn't have to stay the same because you rose we can rise too because you went through death we don't get stuck in it because you took on the sin of the world we can rise above it and so I'm praying today for a brother or sister, somebody in look, searching for encouragement today, that they would feel the breath of your spirit right now. That the facts of the testimonies would bring compelling comfort to their mind. That the eyewitness testimonies could raise opportunity for relational trust in their hearts. And that for somebody, Lord, somebody who's struggling with doubt like Thomas was, that you would give them the sign that would let them know you, you're with them. You're alive. You come alive in them. If you're a, a seeker, you would say a skeptic, a doubter, then may I invite you to consider praying the prayer that I did years ago. Lord, if you're real, would you show me? Just start there. 
if you're open. Just say, Lord, I'm open. Would you show me? Maybe you're ready for even the next step after that, though, which is Jesus. If you're alive, then come alive in me. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me to become fully alive in you as I trust you and receive the gift of your salvation. Now, if you prayed that final prayer with me, we're going to remain with our heads down just for a a moment longer, but if you prayed that final prayer and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated? Kendall Campus, our pastor's uh, attending to you. Gable's Campus, likewise. If you're joining us online, you can just click on screen right there, and we're praying with you. Thank you. Thank you. Here in the middle, toward the front, toward the back. To my right in the middle, God bless you. Over by the wall, you know, I see hand. You know, I don't have to see your hand to, God knows. God bless you, sister. Lord, for each person who by uplifted hand has said, my mind is open, my heart is open, and I am trusting you to come alive in me. I receive you right now. May they sense your presence in the peace of your spirit, giving them evidence in their own heart, that you're alive. In your name we pray, amen.